Performance time, come on and grab your friends, we're going to find a memory leak. I've got no friends, but virtual users, soap tests never end, it's performance time. Hello, welcome back to Performance Time. I'm Stephen Townsend, and this is the show about performance engineering and human beings. Today, I've got a little bit of a preamble because I think this episode might contain some slightly controversial ideas. So this episode contains my own views, and not necessarily that of my current or any previous employers. So, I have transitioned, along with many other people, into a different kind of role over the last two or three years. In the past, I was a performance engineer who did predominantly hands-on technical work, Now, I'm being asked to be more of an advocate to enable other people and delivery teams to do performance engineering for themselves. Now, my sense is that performance engineering attracts people who are generally technically minded and love hands-on problem solving, whether it's running tests, analyzing, investigating issues, deep diving into issues, that's the stuff they love. And so to transition from that into a more consulting or advocacy role is a huge shift. Another thing is that performance engineers have traditionally existed in centralized teams, maybe a shared services team or the old school center of excellence model. But this doesn't fit well into modern continuous delivery practices. There is a whole lot of change happening across a whole lot of platforms and teams And this one centralized team can never keep up with how much change there is. Another maybe bigger issue is that in DevOps and a lot of modern ways of working, the centralized team, it goes against teams being able to be independent and accountable for the quality of their own work. So that's why we're being asked to enable delivery teams and to embed performance engineering capability into them instead of doing all the work for them. And it makes sense. But like I said, this is a huge change in the role of a performance engineer. I'm finding what I do day to day is massively different to what I did before. So let's look at what I did, say, five years ago. What I would do is I'd do risk assessment and strategy, creation or maintenance of test assets, and of course, executing them, automating repetitive tasks, analyzing and reporting on results, investigating issues from logging and monitoring or tracing data, setting up monitoring and alerting and observability platforms, and building my own utilities or tools to make my own life or other people's lives easier, writing code. So what do I do now? Well, I attend a lot of meetings, lots of them. And I also organize meetings or create content such as videos and documents with various stakeholders to try and promote new or better ways of working. And there's seriously not much more time for anything else. I still do a little bit of hands-on like I did before, but my brain is pretty full just keeping on top of the advocacy work. And that work can be full of politics, really awkward conversations, and often working against organizational, team culture, or structural obstacles which can seem overwhelming to negotiate. Now, I'm not going to argue that advocacy isn't important and ultimately it's more powerful than doing hands-on work. I think I've probably achieved more in this advocacy role in the organization than I ever could have by doing hands-on work. 
But if I'm completely honest, my day-to-day work now isn't something I necessarily look forward to. So my big question here is that if I, someone who likes being the centre of attention and presenting and blogging, is finding this work really challenging, how are the other 200,000 or more performance engineers out there, according to the LinkedIn analysis that Lloyd Watts did, finding it? Now, to, to be clear, I'm getting good feedback about the difference that I'm making. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is that the level of satisfaction that I get day to day has diminished. Because when you're doing hands-on work, you have that immediate satisfaction of showing a visualization that proves where a bottleneck is or presenting trend analysis that shows how we've improved an API over the past 10 releases. Those satisfying moments of achievement are pretty frequent. And those moments of achievement are much more in our control because we are the ones doing the work as opposed to relying on how other people behave or groups of people behave. When it comes to advocacy, you can go weeks or months without any major wins. And I think that takes an enormous amount of mental fortitude to persevere through that. I asked a question about this on LinkedIn, and I got some pretty great responses. One of them was that we should both be doing advocacy, but also doing the hands-on to get that level of satisfaction, and so that we don't lose touch with the work. So shout out to Sajish Nair for that feedback. And in theory, I completely agree with this. This is what I did in 2020, and I burned out big time. The context switching from hands-on technical investigation of issues and then jumping into a meeting immediately with senior business or executive or program stakeholders took an enormous toll on me. It was something that I couldn't physically or mentally cope with. So if this is something that we want to do, I think we need to be very careful about putting scaffolding uh, around our engineer advocates, so that they have sufficient space and time to do justice to both parts of the work. Ben Rowan, who I interviewed in episode six, made a really good point. He mentioned that higher level performance roles are now expected to deliver strategic level outcomes, but without having any input into the actual strategies and without having roles in the organizational structure with enough clout to engage stakeholders in the right way. I mean, I get that. I'm an engineer. I don't have any authority. When I go out to a delivery team to discuss how they can improve or start embedding performance into their delivery work, it's easy for me to come across as a guy trying to make them do more work than they already do. That's a pretty tough thing to sell. I have no authority or clout in the organization other than trying to convince with ideas. I don't know what else to say about that other than that's an extremely challenging thing to do. Some of the conversations that I have are very awkward. So this is the part of the podcast where I give the answers. And honestly, I don't have the answers. I have some ideas and not all of them came from me. First of all, As Ben Rowan mentioned, I think having higher level roles in an organization which focus on performance and have more clout could make a big difference. How come security can have entire divisions in a company? 
There are chief security officers in some organizations. There's people working at all levels of an organization. But performance? It's usually relegated to a few engineers on the front line. I've always thought that architecture would be a good way to build performance from the start. And from my experience, architects in many organizations hold significant clout and make a lot of strategic decisions. Secondly, I don't think we should ever overestimate the overhead on the burden of context switching on the human mind. So if we have a centralized team of performance engineers trying to advocate to the whole organization, that's an overwhelming prospect. But what if we embedded performance engineers in key teams and platforms in an organization and got them to focus on advocating to just that team or that platform? They would probably also have enough time and space to do some hands-on work for that platform as well, which would satiate that need to do some hands-on work and to keep themselves current. The third thing, following on from the previous point, is that rather than taking the mindset of, I'm going to implement performance engineering in this platform, I think we need to spend a lot more time learning about the teams we want to shift. Learn how work comes into the team, what processes they have for delivery, how quality is checked, what technologies and tools are used. Adjust an approach to suit the team that will lower the resistance to adopting performance engineering into their ways of working. I have a feeling that this is just the first part in an ongoing discussion, and I'm pretty excited about where that conversation is going to take us. That's all I have for you from this episode of Performance Time. Thank you once again for tuning in. You can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at the handle at perftestnz. Don't forget to review my podcast on whatever platform you are listening from. And as always, this is Performance Time.